This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 363. I am your slightly sleepy host, Jessica Kufferman, your co-host, and with me as always, the lovely... Also slightly sleepy, Elsie Escobar. Woohoo! I had to change outfits today before we went live. Why? Before you were here, actually. Because I was wearing a, another tank top, right? So I come in and I look at myself and there's a giant stain right over my boob. It was so oh my God. visible that it was one of those things where people are going to be like, why did she keep that top on? So I was like, oh, no, I got to change my shirt. I'd like to know what the stain was. Do you have any idea? I was making smoothies right before we oh. came for my children. And so I didn't realize I'd spilled on myself while I was pouring it. Of course, it would it. be fruit or vegetables. Yes. But also that color, you know that? You know the color of my smoothies. Oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> baby burp green. <laughs> so terrible. I actually don't mind kale in smoothies, but I can't eat it. Eat it. It's too bad. Yeah, you can. Can you even taste it? Like that's that's the whole point of having the vegetables in smoothies. You can't really taste the specifics. You can, of but the it's veggies. like eating the earth. It's like eating grass from your yard. It's actually nice. It's like grass from your yard mixed with fruit. It's actually a very refreshing <laughs> taste. I think spinach also in a smoothie. Spinach um, is very hard to taste. That's what my children yeah, have. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's easy to taste when it's just spinach. Right. Unfortunately. Yes. But um, yeah, no, I like, no, for me, if I had a stain on my shirt, nine times out of 10, it's probably butter. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was smoothie. It would never be a smoothie ever. <laughs> yeah, it was. It I'm was just saying it would be butter or pasta sauce. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what it would be. I do, I do drip butter a lot, but that's, you know, or actually what happens to me. <gasps> spinach pumpkin smoothie, Sarah, we have, we have oh, spinach. Please share on the ours, recipe, but... Sarah. And by the way, very wonderful to see you today. Hello. Yeah. How are you? I know. It's very nice. So we have lots to get to that we want to talk about today. Yes, this being July 4th when we're recording. So happy if you're feeling independent, happy Independence Day. For the people in the United States only. Yes. We should just call it Happy Freedom from the British Day. We should call because it. We have it a day off day. Feel... That's it. We have a day off today. Mm -hmm. It's that Happy it. Freedom from the British Day. So let's just call it that. Happy. We don't owe you shit. British Day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Moving on, let's see. There was a new study done by Edison Research and Sounds Profitable about all about podcast creators. So for the first time, instead of hearing all the data about people's listening habits, we get to hear about our own habits. It's very exciting. So Elsie, 
Oh, Elsie, uh, let's put on our scientific hats and tell us what you found, would you? Well, well, first of all, I just want to say that this is now being put on by Sounds Profitable, which is Tom Webster left Edison Research and then has partnered with Brian Barletta as part of the Sounds Profitable, mm-hmm. is it company or I don't know. I think um, so. I, yeah. They have a really clear mission on their website. Y'all should check it out. So I'll have a link in the show notes for that kind of stuff as well. And so this was the very first study that they put out as Sounds Profitable, which um, was kind of piggybacked off of some of the information that was already happening with Edison Podcast Metrics, which is something that Edison Research has been doing a lot. So what they do inside of the Edison Podcast Metrics is that they sample weekly listeners, podcast listeners. It's about 8,000 podcast consumers per year. So those listeners. Now, uh, that's going to be going up to about 20,000 because they really just released some some news that the sample size is going to actually grow a lot for this specific podcast metrics starting in July. So starting this month, they are growing. They added a question to the already existing study that was happening weekly, Mm -hmm. which was... Do you currently or have you ever produced a podcast? And that would be at any level. So it doesn't have to be just people behind the microphone. It can be anything, right? So they added that for the past year and they measured it and they got a sample size of about 617 to be exact of all of those people from last year that were the podcast creators. Can I just add something really quick? Mm Mm-hmm. Think about what Elsie just said. They asked people if they had ever made a podcast. So this also includes people who has have made probably one recording. I mean, mm-hmm. what we're susceptible to these creators' versions and definitions of what is a podcast. Correct. Just, I thought I'd put that in there. No, I think that that's really, um, it's that's important, really great. Be- I think. Very they important. They could just be fans who've turned, who accidentally pressed record one time and introduced <laughs> themselves. I mean, you don't know. I'm just right. saying. And, and part of it is that you also have to self-qualify, just like Jess said. So do you currently or have you ever produced a podcast? Could be someone that ha- is in the podcasting industry or has had a, an ongoing podcast for the That's past true. you know, six years, or it can be someone who decided to go live on YouTube and every week and that's their podcast. Right. And that's what they think. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. Cause asking people, have you ever made a podcast can be tricky unless Absolutely. you make sure you identify for them what you're referring to. But anyway, anyway. Correct. Anyway. No, but this is really great. This, uh, that's a really great point. Differentiation. Yes, absolutely. And mind you, this is really the first credible look at who's creating podcasts in America. And I remember when Tom opened this up, he said that it's one of the key questions that journalists ask. And then I was mm. thinking like, okay, listen, I get that journalists ask this, but I have to say that how many times have you been you, Jess, have you been asked like in conversations with anybody and you're like, how many women are there in podcasts? Or like how many people have asked you specifically that question that are not journalists? I'm not talking about journalists. 
I mean, I've been asked it quite a bit, like what the percentages of women. Yes. And I only know the answer from when we started, which was 13% when we started. And Rob Walsh gave me that number. Yeah, because he did that study or not even that study. It wasn't a study. He was looking. What he did is that information came from 2012. Okay. That's from 2012. And this was his unscientific way of figuring that out. He looked through all of the Libsyn accounts and then he visually looked at people's names and inferred (laughs) through their name whether they were what gender they were, which you knew, you, you know how, what a variable of error that might possibly have. I mean, I have a child whose name is Hunter. Yeah, I mean, and it's easier. It's it's honestly easier to look through the top 100 and say how many are in the top, you know, podcasts because you can see the cover art at least. Whereas, like uh-huh. Rob was just sort of guessing. All right, so so we so he said 13 percent. That was 10 years ago. We now have a different number. Before we continue, I have to show you this. Okay. Those are the cutest nails. Everybody who is happening to listen to us talk about right now, Jessica has red, white, and blue nails. Nails. I did. And I did them myself. You did? I did. They're blue and stars on one side. Although they're not really stars. They're polka dots. And then red and white stripes on the other side. I forgot to show you. Oh my gosh. You had time on your hands. Anyway, and Isaac was not around, it seems like, when you were doing this. He was. He made me paint his nails as well. Oh, okay. I was thinking like... And then immediately he wanted it to come off. He did ask. Okay. Yeah. He he did ask and now he wants it off and I can't find the nail polish remover. So he's furious about it. Anyway. Oh my God. Anyway. All right. So um, moving back into this information. And so the reason I ask you that question is because... It's important. Tom was saying that how many... That's the key questions that journalists ask. And I can tell you that not one journalist has asked me that question, but I can tell you that almost all podcasters that I talk with have asked me that question. Any person who I've mentored a lot lot of the time, people who are in any way interested in the space, anytime, especially our people within our own community within She Podcast, this is a question that comes up all time the time, even for new people, when new people start to come in, they're like, how many women podcasters are there? Like all the time. So I don't think it's a journalist question. I think it's an inter, like we want to know. And I've always said, I can't find out that question because it's so, and he mentioned it. It is very challenging to find that information. Um, yeah. From uh, so many true, different right. ways. Journalists don't ask, people ask, but people do ask. You're right. Yeah, people ask. All right, so, so anyway. let's give them the answer. Without further ado. Without further ado, let's look at some of the demographics that came up from this study. Mind you, you are in the, there's going to be a link in the show notes where you're able to look at the landing page, watch the representation, and also download the PDF for yourself so that you can see what that looks like. But the first thing that was covered were those demographics. Jessica Kufferman, would you like to take over (laughs) and share about what the demographics showed? Yes, I would, in fact. All right. (laughs) So so as usual, what Edison has done is compared the study to the United States population. So I don't know if you know this, but the United States population skews slightly female, 49% men to 51% women. However... When it comes to creating podcasts, 69% of them are male and 29% of them 
are female and 2% of them are non-binary or other. So that is the gender split. It's hardly a split, though. It's still very, very, very overwhelmingly male. And if you're listening to this, all it means to me is that you need to get on your butt and start podcasting. And the way to start doing that is perhaps to come to our event this fall. ShePodcastLive.com. All right. Anyway. But but (laughs) yeah, but at the same time, I'm not joking, really. No, I know you're not joking. Now, here's the thing. You did mention that was that caveat at the beginning, correct? It was that caveat at the beginning that US you mentioned population about- population is half and half, yes. No, no, no. I'm saying what? when you, we were just talking about the question that was asked in this study. Oh, yeah. Which so was- So you think men are more likely to be like, yeah, I've created a podcast. Yes, that's another to- thing. Ah! That's something <laughs> that possibly could happen, that they're creators that's and they're like, yeah, I've done this thing. So they do self-identify as podcasters within the study. I mean, I'm, I'm again, this is just simply from me looking at it of those 600 plus people who responded to the study. That said, though, it was really disheartening to see that it's almost 70 percent male. It was. I was astounded. I know. I mean, especially because like. We've been around for so long and we have 21,000 women in there. And yes, I mean, I guess when you compare it to the 400,000 live podcasts, I guess 21,000 isn't a lot. But when you think about all the women, you know, that have something to say, it seems very low. I was sensing that it was higher, but again, it's a smaller representation. I especially don't think it is right now because this study was taken during and or right after the pandemic when women probably have less time to create a show than men. Because as we've read all those studies about how women have bore the brunt of responsibilities since COVID started. So it's possible that some of them stopped and haven't restarted or were going to start and then didn't start. Can we change that this year, please, ladies and non-binary? The question did ask whether or not they are or have ever been. So there's that. So even if they quit, mm, they would have true. still done have it. have ever been. You're right. Now, Tom did say something, and I do challenge this assumption. Okay. Before we get to the... 100% before we agree get, with what you're about to say. So he, he mentioned that... Mind you, this bit of the sample size was taken from podcast listeners, right? Because that's where it came from. And these are self-identified creators. And so he mentioned that, quote, every creator is also a podcast listener, end quote. Now, I challenge that assumption because I actually know somebody who has been in podcasting for a long time who doesn't really consider themselves a podcast listener. Would you mind telling me, Jessica, who that person might be? Is it you? Just kidding. It's me. Me. (laughs) I don't listen that often. And I actually know a lot of people like me who don't listen that often, believe it or not. I wish I could say that I listened more, but... I don't because I, I normally did it when I was driving and now I don't drive anymore. Right. I just want to challenge that assumption because I can actually, you're not the only one. I, I know other podcasters. I do too. Who also don't listen to like at all, as in like they don't listen to podcasts. They have a podcast, they create their podcast, and sometimes they even outsource the majority of the production of the podcast 
They may or may not even listen to their own show, but they don't listen. They're not listeners. So mm-hmm. I challenge the assumption that all listeners are possibly creators or I'm sorry, I'm I mean, probably misquoting my most. own self. We could say most, most. Yes, I would say most mm-hmm. can be podcast listeners for sure. And I think that is the gateway drug <laughs> for a lot of people listening to shows that you kind of like, I want to do that. I kind of want to do that. I'm that person. But there are a lot of people who really love listening to podcasts in the same way that really love watching movies, but don't really aspire to be filmmakers or don't aspire to be creators. They just love to consume content. And yes, Lee, absolutely. Listening can make our own shows better. I am incredibly biased towards exactly what Lee just mentioned, which is, again, this is a highly biased point of view. I think every podcaster needs to listen to podcasts. They have, like, I think they have to. This is a biased perspective from me. I think they have to listen to podcasts in order for them to know what they, if they really want to take it seriously and expand more into whatever whatever they want to do, especially if it's not a hobby for them to be better, to get to whatever goals they want, they need to listen to podcasts. But that's just my own biased perspective on that. Indeed. So moving on to ethnicity, and I was kind of sad to see that while the United States population, although I don't think this is true, is 63% white? Yes, dude. And only 13% African-American? That does not seem right to me. But it is because this is the U.S. The whole population, though? I thought for sure we had some more no ethnicity going on. Well, it doesn't matter. It's slightly less true with podcast creators. Half are white, 14% African-American, 24% Hispanic, Latino, 5% Asian, and 6% refused. So 14% African-American, that made me very, very sad as well because, again, there are so many black women with so many interesting stories and things to say and opinions and observations and the fact that there's only 14 out of 100 that are done. I mean, that's just black, not even women. That's even less women. So if you're listening to this and you are an African-American woman or non-binary individual, please start a podcast about literally anything. And I'm sure it would be listened to and because your stories need to be listened to. Okay. But I mean, I was I am happy to see that the Hispanic group jumped. That's the next biggest group. And it's big. It's great. Oh, my God. We totally made up that drop from the the U.S. population from 63 to percent because of podcast creators. The white population dropped to 51 percent. And it was all made up from my people. I'm just kidding. From your people, from (laughs) Elsie, from from Elsie land, from Elsie land. Yes. Um, No, but literally, I mean, the general population of Hispanic Latino from 14% to the podcast creators page, which is 24%. I think that 10% raise is really, really good. So I'm really, really good. I love it. it, I'm sad that there's not more African-Americans, though. But I mean, we have wonderful creation uh, or creator communities like Black Pod Collective, Black Podcasters Association, BIPOC creators and women of color color. podcasters. That's right. But, you know, one thing we I didn't talk about that I think is really actually a really important point, particularly for you and I, Jess, and for She Podcast and us as leaders in, in general, doesn't have to do with the diversity aspect, which we were just talking about, which I think is a really good 
I think that slide was astounding to me because it mm-hmm. is so different than the general population in the U.S. And there is for sure a lot more diversity in podcast creators than there is in the general population, which is great. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing that I really was like, oh, my God, we are we literally are a unicorn, Jess, because among the creators, only 14 percent are older than 44. Ah, oh, I old. know. I thought that was amazing. Wait, before That's, we move on, I just want to say also the Asian American Podcasters Association, too, because yes. the Asians were only 5% and that also needs to change and, and grow. But yes, but none of them are as old as us, which I That's am not right. sure how I feel about so that, but 14, whatever. 14%, 12, 12%. Think about it. So, I mean, I mean, 14% is older than 44. Oh, older than 45. Older than 44. So it's like, that is a, we are literally, that's us. That's us. So mind you, we are women in podcasting. So that is in the, in the 30% section. Mm -hmm. Then we are over 44 years old, which goes down to the 14% section. So Mm -hmm. even then we, we literally are unicorns. We are people who are producing content consistently now for so many years and we need more people that are we were in the other group when we started this is true and (laughs) this is where you're correct when we started we were in the other group but now we are in the other group we've aged out i'd also like to know the the gender split on that because i think the reason it's so young is because it's men I think the women who podcast are sli- are in the slightly older genre, and oh, I know this because cr- our biggest true. our biggest group is thirty five to forty four, and then forty five to fifty four, and then I think I mean I should probably not say that without looking at our insights, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Let me just check, Rafi. I kind of agree. I kind of agree that we're all unicorns, and I agree with you, Jessica. That I think that there's something to be said about at least the, you know, the just the demographics in that group. Mm. Mind you, though, in terms of really being able to offer opportunities to an audience that is lacking in the space, we are right there. We have the biggest access to those types of demographics within our own community, right? Because mm-hmm. in the in terms that you're speaking about, if somebody wants to serve and grow this specific market, which is exactly what Tom Webster mentioned at the end of the presentation, he literally said to be able to help creators that are underrepresented at the 45 year and above, and to make sure we encourage female creators um, who solves the problem for both of those things? We do. <laughs> In our group, it's almost exactly even. It's it's thirty six percent are in the thirty five to forty four, and then twenty five to thirty four and forty five to fifty four are both twenty five percent. Oh, very interesting. How about that? Look at that. Yeah. Um. But anyway, I thought that was a really a very interesting. Absolutely thing. Oh, the other thing that I thought that was very, very interesting is that um, that he and he kept on bringing this up. And this may or may not be true. I mean, not may. I mean, it is true in in the study. But the fact that there was a, like it, the podcast creators don't look like the average American in terms of education. No. So forty percent of the creators, listeners, but yeah. 
40% of the creators have advanced degrees. It's actually 68% of creators have a four-year college degree or more. That's how I would say it. Because advanced degrees is like a master's. Which is still a lot. Forty percent. That's still is what a I'm lot. saying. That's still a lot going to school. Which means so. So the thing is that something that he kept bringing up a lot is that a lot of the podcast creators have a little bit more. They're more privileged in their life. They have advanced degrees. Eighty percent of them are employed. Thirty-eight percent of them have over are earning over a hundred k. And so that in itself is is a very unique imprint of who this person is. And and now let's turn it towards the male. So they're male, employed, possibly have more of an income coming in than and, than and the general more, population. And more degrees. And yeah. Deep more studies. than so what? More than the U.S. population, not more, more than, than the U.S. population. Yeah. Correct. Just to be correct. Clear, right. More than the U.S. population. Did you know that the United States population, 42% of us have a high school diploma or less? Wow. I didn't know that. And so you you kind of get an idea of the people who are creating content are for sure leaning one way, right? It's it's a slice not of the the population as a whole. And so you can kind of get a sense too that the voices that we hear are voices that are coming from a specific type of a lens that are creating this content and for good or bad, you know, depending upon how our society is placed, whether or not education, right? I don't think that the education from a higher degree person, I mean, if they're talking about tech and science, which we'll talk about here in a second, obviously you do need to study things like this and continually, you know, do all the fancy stuff that it seems to me that education needs. But when it comes to real life experience and wisdom and just plain old intelligence and smartness and just being able to live a a full life and and experience the world as it is, you only get a slice of that because Mm -hmm. we're not getting the voices from the folks who happen to maybe not go to a university, not get a higher degree, but are possibly like a stalwart in their community. And maybe they never graduated high school, but they are, again, that is, we are labeling not being able to get an education as being unworthy, right? No, we're not. Who said that? I'm not saying that that's what we're thinking. I'm saying that those voices are not getting behind the microphone to speak. And within our society, culturally, we place value on university degrees and systems. We tend to move towards that area to be able to place value on that because we say like, oh, did you, you know, how much study did you have? Did you go get a doctorate? Do you have a PhD? That somehow legitimizes people within our culture. I do not believe this. I don't subscribe to that. I'm just saying that we tend to do it. We're biased towards that. Okay, but on the opposite end, and I I don't mean for this to be a college is useful, yay or nay debate, but regardless of what you think about the college education that you or I have received, I will admit that it has made my view of the world 
more tolerant. It has exposed me to cultures and people I would have never been exposed to before. It has helped me problem solve and think outside the box for various reasons. And it also going to college made me more independent and probably more confident as far as how I live my life, but also as an independent thinker. You know, I think people who who go to high school and then that and then they just immediately start working. You know, college gives you opportunity for travel. It gives you opportunity to work with people in classrooms and labs that you wouldn't normally pair up with. It gives you opportunity to meet people in dorms that you would never be exposed to. I think that people who go to college are different. And I do think that those differences have value. I wouldn't I say, I, and I'm generalizing, of course, yeah. like I, I can't say that for everyone. Certainly if you, you know, if you don't go to college, but you end up tr- whatever, traveling the world or whatever you're exposed to, then that's great. But I do think that the reason that we value university is not because people are looking up your GPA and seeing how well you did in chemistry. It's because that experience can help you be a more well-rounded person. Maybe. I I actually, before, I think years ago, I would have been totally on the boat of that. I don't believe that that's the case anymore. Not because, again, I'm not judging the education and the experience you just mentioned. What I am saying is that now we do have, I think as a society, the ability to not only give individuals who are qualified to do a specific job and have more opportunities to come through the door via, in, like particularly for creators, via internships, via being a VA, a virtual assistant, because online work has really expanded the opportunity True. for a lot of people that don't necessarily have to go to a four-year university to get that access. That's because very Because there's true. a lot of Gen Zs, particularly, are becoming incredibly adept of all kinds of things, how to write, how to produce, how to put things up on the internet, how to code, how to create content, video, audio, all of stuff. Those people are self-taught. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. But I'm just talking about the person who goes to high school and then like, become, you know, and then maybe goes to trade school to become an electrician. Like, I'm just saying you don't get exposed to different cultures or opportunities for travel. There's nothing wrong with that job. It's a very well paying job, plumbers, electricians, construction workers, all that stuff. I'm just saying the reason we value it is because of the there's culture about it. And then there's also perseverance. Like, I don't know anyone who didn't struggle through college, who didn't have to work their tits off and then persevere. Yeah, but I think that that's, no, but I just think that's, there's a lot of people too who like work their tits off, like True. not going to college and, and have to struggle and can't afford it. And so all I'm saying is that there is a certain level of, and, and I also challenge the fact that you're saying that we value it for this. I can tell you that there's a lot of people who are doing the hiring in like larger com- companies who are looking for degrees. And it and if it's a specific university, they're like, okay, you're in. Versus somebody else who is higher qualified, much more into it, like a superstar. And they were not going to be hired because they didn't get a degree. But I agree with you. I think that those values are expired or should be, you know, out of date and expired. But I still think that some type of similar experience is valuable. I mean, Rafi, you're right. I mean, life struggle is absolutely the real deal education. Yes. I totally agree. It's just I'm just talking about exposure, different exposure and why 
I personally still see value in it. It's not even necessarily for the education per se. In fact, if you go to, you know, if you go to live in another country for four years instead, I would consider that a degree in life exactly. or whatever. And but, so in that respect, but I come from a small town. So you have to right. realize that most of the people that I graduated with still live there doing the shit their dad did. And they're no less worldly or less ignorant or less stupid than they were. That's all I'm saying. And now to bring it back to the creators, if we could get more of those, even those, um, siloed people, if you're thinking about it from that perspective, just like, let's say the folks that you grew up with that never left and that are still there. There's something to be said about even people like that getting behind the microphone to be able to talk. I agree. Because then it is not only exposing them to the online world, to experiences, to creating content, to really focusing on their stories, but also the people that are listening to them are going to engage with them and then they'll open up. So for me, that's was the case when I started to listen to podcasts. I actually was listening to creators that were completely outside of where I lived. And I'd never, ever imagined having them talk to me or even be in my brain because they were not around me. But I was listening to them and they exposed me to the possibilities of a world outside of where I was. So it is valuable to hear those points of views because then when you listen, 100%, I agree. you completely expand. So I'm, I'm just getting we back to the fact that we need, yes. that's literally it. Yes. We, need we need to need have those, those audiences. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, my best friend from high school didn't go to college, but she still is... I think very worldly and she has her own, you know, her own business and she does fun stuff. So, I mean, I don't want to discount that experience at all. I'm just funny about education because in my culture, you educate yourself. That's just, and I, and and mine as well. And I am completely like at this point in time in my life, I am like resistant, like all get out because of so many different things. But anyway, again, I'm just saying now Rafi is bringing something up. She said small rural opportunities was in pod news today. Interestingly enough, I do have that in the show notes as well. It's an article again from Edison Research talking about how Gabe uh, Soto from Edison Research is going to be uh, doing a talk in a podcast movement. And he just is going to be presenting a little bit of data based on the fact that the podcast consumption in rural opportunities is really low compared to bigger towns. Mm. That to me also lines up with something that I hugely, uh, what'd you say? Exposure. Exposure. But here's the thing that I'm fighting for, for these things is something that I've been advocating for forever is the fact that rural communities often don't have the infrastructure to be able to connect. And so even now, like the company that is providing me with internet is a nonprofit organization that serves North Carolina rural communities. And they are fighting tooth and nail to get grants, to be able to bring it to so many other businesses and homes out here. I am actually lucky that I'm in the on the road, on the way of the areas that they serve. There's so many who are not served. And even the town next door, Justin, I just told Justice, there are no cell towers there. So you can, you literally cannot connect. And so then you start to think about how are they going to be listening to podcasts if they can't download them or stream them? 
because you cannot connect. And then the work that it takes to go to a public library, because right now they're closed, to go to a public library, open up your podcatcher of choice, and then decide I'm going to download all of these things to my device is so annoying. I mean, who, like, especially the new people who are going to do that. So there's all of that kind of stuff. Um, I really love that Rafi. Rafi is like doing it. Look, she pitched two organizations Rafi, in should, her small town. If we could, if we could zap you into this recording, I feel that yeah. we should. Because I know. as a black like, woman, not only do you have a lot to say, but in this show, you also have a lot she's to say, like, which And then I love. look at this. The, she sent an article with a pitch. I mean, she's got a lot of stuff. Uh, and I'm, I'm true. I think every one of us needs to good. be doing that to good, get that good, good. the word out. For she's sure. Letting, she's helping. I love that you're doing that. What a good idea. She pitched two organizations in her small town for a free workshop, I guess, in podcasting, and sent that article with the pitch. Well done, madam. Well done, madam. Look at you educating people who are in a small town. <laughs> I should do that to Frederick, Maryland. That's where oh I'm from. God. But I mean, they're a little they're a little exposed now, but certainly not when I was younger. Here's another bit of information in that study. The one that like kind of astounded me, but it didn't it didn't surprise me. It was just like, oh, uh huh. It was that creators say they have both iOS and Android. Ah. So again, that shows privilege, right? Who has both? Because again, you can buy both. You can buy both things. You can buy an iOS, you can buy an iPhone, and you can buy an Android device. Did you know that you can buy an Apple device for $20 a month on your phone plan, though? Yes, you can. That may you not show privilege. I'm that, just saying. Uh, no, but for both of them, especially, like, who's going to buy both? All I'm saying is, like, who's going to buy both? And also, the, um, the fact that creators are highly engaged on social media as in like extremely active and that the numbers are extraordinarily high that are exactly the opposite almost as the u.s population in fact three times as likely to be active on twitter and so thinking about it from that perspective those creators are, again, one sliver of the population. All of them are in, engaged in social media. And I'm feeling like there's a, a little bit of a talking to the same people all the time kind of situation. Yeah, probably. I love that they are 80% make the decisions for their workplace, though. I mean, yes. which sort of goes, uh, goes along with really their great. education and household income and, and employment that they mostly make decisions for what their company is purchasing. That's a really big deal. Yeah, because that because I mean, yes, it does mean that creators are privileged. But it also I mean, and of course, they would be highly technically savvy, ex- have lots of expertise, much speed in their field, et cetera, and so forth, for them to be able to, <laughs> Robbie says, my town is 28,000 people. That seems small. I think there are more people at the University of Maryland. Oh, my God, yes. I don't actually like know. undergrad program. Undergrad, I think, is 28,000 people. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, I, I do love that, though. And I, I actually, I love that statistic for those people who are thinking about sponsoring She Podcasts Live because it means that yep. they're highly engaged, like you said, highly engaged, but also highly invested in making purchases, which I, I love ad date, ad data. Ad data is the best data. 
Yeah, absolutely. I really, really love that. Like big time. Yeah. Okay. What else you got, girlfriend? That's about it for this because we're gonna we have to wrap it up here. We have seven more minutes to be able to do this. Now, mind you, I want to share because the population in my town, just to let you know, <laughs> it's gonna blow your face off, Jess. I can't wait. Wait, your town is LA. No, dude. In my oh, town, mean, it's four thousand three hundred and eight. Stop it. That is how yep, that's my in population. No, dude, this in my town where I'm living right now. Wait, you mean North Carolina, that town? Yeah, but that's not the name, but I'm not going to say it out loud because I don't want people to find me. Oh, look, I just spilled. See, look, I just spilled on myself. Yeah, I don't mean to be rude, but no one's looking for you up in that mountain, Elsie. Doesn't matter what city I say. I could say Ballsack, North Carolina, and no one is climbing that mountain to find you. You never know. All I'm saying is that my population is 4,308. The female population is 52.8, male 47.2. The median age is 46. (laughs) So it's now that sounds like a fun town. Yeah. (laughs) I want to go to a town where everyone is 46. I want the kids to be 46. I want the adults to be 46. I want the grandparents to be 46 because those are my people. (laughs) Yeah. Those are my people. This is the coolest data. We will have a link for you in the show notes, shepodcast.com, if you want to check this study out. Elsie and I gave you the very brief highlights, but there's so much to be gained from Yes, that data and actually for everything from Edison research. If you go it's to not Edison, Edison research, it is it sounds profitable and Edison Sound- research. It's both. All right. OK, it was created by both and then sponsored by many other people we love. Yes. Created by Sounds Profitable and Edison Reese. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brian. I didn't mean to discount your involvement. I just don't think, I mean, I know Edison Research is, you know, a research company. Yes, but this is where they're moving. Dude, this is where they're moving towards. They're moving towards that. That's what they're going to do. Doing this data stuff. Sounds profitable. I love that. Oh my God. It's amazing. (laughs) all right yes uh one more uh really quick shout out here y'all uh this is for the podcasters united for our rights initiative from the bipoc podcast creators so last week we talked about um the work that was put together by ariel and nissenblatt for podvoices.help which we had a little like thingy majigger at the beginning where it was like people are moving to talk about reproductive rights and all that stuff. BIPOC uh, podcast creators also have their own thing going as well. That is another movement. So in case you're interested in that, you can head over to a link in the show notes. Their initiative is called, um, I believe, Podcasters United for Our Rights. And there's going to be a link to the entire information there. They also have assets and images and a thing that they stand for and another script that you can read in your podcast if you so choose or even just copy and paste it to your platform of choice. Okay, that is it. Okay, go Jess. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of She Podcast. And thank you for watching. We have more 
watchers today than normal. So I'd like to thank you for being here. I guess because it's a holiday and you guys aren't busy. <laughs> Yay! We should just it's record on holidays from now on. Oh, right. It's also 10 a.m. Maybe we should. Anyway, thank you guys so much. If you want to find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, Go to at She Podcast. You can also find us on the web, ShePodcast.com. Please join us this fall for She Podcast Live, where we help curate women podcasters, which apparently is very, very needed. ShePodcastLive.com. You can use the code BY in July for a discount. Ayo! Please join us there. It's going to be in Washington, D.C. We know there's a lot of podcasters in Washington, D.C., and we would love to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Love you. Mean it. Bye.